Hey everyone, my name is Kasuma and I'm here yet again with another podcast for Mitike Rang. Today we have a very special guest, Belinda Hu from the International Monetary Fund. Uh, Belinda, go ahead and introduce yourself for our audience. Okay, so hi everyone. Um, so my name is Belinda Hu and I'm originally from China. I graduated from Berkeley Economics uh, in 2019 and uh, currently I work as a research analyst at the International Monetary Fund. So I work mainly with the chief economist, uh, Gita Gorfanes, she's from India and her team, um, a lot of economics projects they are doing for um, major economies and like other countries around the world. Thank you, Thank you Belinda. Um, we're so glad to have you uh, on the Mitikirang podcast series. I think, you know, on behalf of my team and I, and, you know, the whole organization, we thank you for being and being and coming up on here. Um, you know, people have a lot of aspirations going into intergovernmental organizations, you know, like UN, WHO, IMF, um, and it's kind of like a non-traditional path for someone like, you know, you who, you know, went to Berkeley. Um, and regardless, I think a lot of the times when you look at postings from, you know, these places, they often require people with a lot of credentials. So my first question to you is what prompted you to take up a position at the IMF and, you know, what's it like going straight into an organization like this coming from the Bay area where there's a lot of other opportunities for, you know, young people? Um, I mean, First of all, I would say it's really like the process is definitely challenging because seeing a lot of your friends or your classmates going to those big tech companies and other people like uh, in economics and from Haas, they're going to like Wall Street or private firms. It's definitely a non-traditional path. I, and I would definitely say they like to hire PhD or master students. So it's not very common for undergrad to go directly into these organizations as a full-time staff. Um, so what prompted uh, what prompted me to take this position was a class I took during junior year. Uh, so I took a class that's called History of the 20th Century Economics or something like that, History of the World Economy in the 20th Century. Um, so I had a really interesting professor. So he was originally a history professor and he just taught a really interesting course um, the world economy system after World War, World War Two, and the whole Bretton Woods system. So I got like I got really intrigued by that course, and that's when I first learned about the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. Of course, like I never thought I would go into like the World Bank or International Monetary Fund someday. But um, so what what happened was like I was talking to some of my econ professors in the department who did like short-term uh, visit, who, who did like projects as short-term re- visiting scholars at the IMF. And they were like sort of talking about those opportunities for students. And I just happened to know there's this opportunity as a research analyst I can apply as an undergrad. So that's what I did. And I think because of 
some of the connections that Berkeley has with the IMF. So I was selected for an interview. And so that's just sort of happened. Yeah, and I, I was already like dreaming of going to either the World Bank or the IMF someday at that point, yeah. Wow, that's um, incredibly inspirational um, for a lot of us actually, because we're, we're kind of struggling just to get internships right now. So yeah, I think, you know, that's a huge leap for you. And, you know, that's, that must have been really exciting. I, I think, you know, the, the classes that ignite a lot of passion in students today are really rare. So I, I'm glad that it worked out for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I definitely did not see that coming. So sometimes you just need to like keep mo moving forward and keep walking in order to find the direction. And you don't know like what those opportunities are. So you just need to keep trying and keep trying different things until you find something that like really suits your passion. Yeah, I was originally thinking I might do finance or like accounting, but I really didn't feel like I like accounting a lot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh, why don't you kind of go ahead into what your role is and what you currently do there? Because a lot of us, you know, um, I think our understanding of certain job types are pretty much preliminary. Right, right. So um, what I do currently, um, it consists of different parts. Um, maybe like 60% six, of the time, I go to different data sources. I do data cleaning. I do data visualization. So a lot of our time is spent on data because um, as like you mentioned in your questions, now it's a digital world and everything is data driven. So we are trying to like really tell the stories behind like numbers and uh, GDP growth or like inflation, those numbers. So you need to collect a lot of cross regional, cross national and like time series data. If you uh, study econometrics, you will know Panel, either panel data or time series data is what we use most. So a lot of my time is spent on cleaning those data sets, just getting them ready for economists that I work with. So they can like, they can sort of figure out like what, what stories they want to tell. And um, like when we meet with like country leaders or central bank governors or bankers from other countries, they will ask us, so what do you see like in the current global economy? Uh, we will be able to like tell them a certain story, either this one, this went right or that went wrong. Um, so that, that's what happens. And before the pandemic, we also have like various conferences that we sort of attend, basically just to learn like what's going on in the world and learn from like other scholars in the field. and. Another maybe like 20 to 10% of the time we spend on like meeting with economists and just talking about like ideas, discussing some of the things like current news that's that's going on. So that's how like uh, it's like my day to day work. Of course, after the lockdown, it's quite different now. But um, before that, it was like sort of just data and discussion and like uh, conferences, but it's really fun because you get to meet a lot of high profile people that I don't think you'll get elsewhere. Yeah. As you were speaking, you know, in my head, 
I've watched a ton of political dramas for me to know there's an advisor for like everything, like national security, CIA, you know, economic advisor. So uh, yeah, I know I'm drawing it from, you know, drama, but I think it makes sense when I say that you guys are kind of like intermediaries, um, you know, between a country and, you know, when, uh, you know, leaders enact on their policies, especially when it comes to monetary policy. So I'm guessing you guys like, you know, look at interest rates, inflation, you know, as you said, GDP growth. And um, what kind of comparisons do you see that are the most common occurrences? And what was like, you know, that's not that's not good occurrence. Um, so ever since the pandemic, actually, a lot of our time has been spent on COVID-19. So mm-hmm. what we are starting right studying right now is um, how has like COVID uh, affected different countries? So we do see like some countries, maybe like most East Asian countries, recovering from the pandemic quickly because they did like pre uh, like steps and they are doing very well controlling the virus. Well, like Western countries are maybe like a little behind, so they haven't got the pandemic under control. So it's like, it really affects different countries differently. And um, one issue occurring from that trend is that will cause the poor countries to, to like go in deeper into poverty. And yeah, so basically the, country inequality just increased so that's a trend that we are most mostly worried about right now and also like how the pandemic affects different groups so maybe it affects women more than men and like minority are hurt more from the pandemic so basically um it's not looking really good now but we are hoping that like this year it will uh most countries will get like back to uh i mean normal like their economies will start to recover hopefully yeah yeah um i mean i i don't know if this is an obvious question or maybe not um, but we'll see but have you you know seen an immense change in data visualization especially like you know before and after covid like what does what do they look after the new normal is it entirely different or is it just like the standard, you know, going into a depression phase and then going back just like, you know, business cycle? Um, so they actually look at different things. We, we do not like only look at like those basically um, country data. Uh, we also look at like social data. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, we look at mobility data, whether mm-hmm. like how many, how much time people spend out of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, compared to like before the pandemic mm-hmm. and we also look at how it affects school uh, like whether um, how many kids drop out of school in different countries and how it affects different education groups and how it affects women how many women quit their job just to like stay at home and so, uh, raise their kids in order to support their husband so we look at those different things because um, I think as one economist mentioned earlier, I think it's maybe our CEO, our current CEO, um, but I think she said behind every number is like a life. So it's a person. You don't only like look at those numbers as numbers, but also imagine them as a, a family, like kids or like women actually being affected by this 
this terrible pandemic and the depression and yeah, the recession, the recession. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that、uh, detailed input.、Uh, I think a lot of people don't really understand what goes behind, you know, just data analysis, and that was, you know, a lot of minuscule factors to consider. But I, I see their importance now in, in you know, measuring a country's. Um, mobility and ability to perform, especially in a recession. You know, I want to go right into what you mentioned earlier about you know the current digitalization, and you know I think you mentioned a little bit about how your work has taken a turn for the better or worse. I don't know, but yeah, what have you noticed become a little streamlined, or what has become a little inefficient, and how has it impacted the job market in your opinion? Um. So, I think. Digitalization is definitely the next big trend, and as governments and international organizations, I feel like we are also trying to catch up with the trend. Because in my opinion, we haven't like completely caught up with the trend.、Um, so before the pandemic, it's like not really common for staff to work from home like every day. Uh, every week, and then our system just couldn't take so many staff working from home. So we had some like system issue,、uh, just going into like lockdown and、uh, work from home orders.、Uh, I think that was in March. So our IT department had to basically just rewrite all the codes and、uh, rebuild like a lot of our system in order to make sure like everything works. So that was like when I realized, oh, even like my company isn't really like digitalized or enough to、uh, to keep up with like the demand to basically just be online. So、mm-hmm. that was like really interesting. And I imagine like schools are doing the same. I heard my friends are saying that Berkeley is using different platforms for different online classes. So that's like really intriguing because you need to go to different platforms just to like. Do online classes at one school, yeah. So that that's like one one bad thing I kind of noticed at the beginning. But I think people are adjusting quickly. So right now,、uh, maybe more people are getting used to、uh, buying stuff online, which gave rise to tight gens like Amazon and like eBay or、uh, yeah, Amazon, especially Amazon. So. Yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad, <laughs> given the political aspect of that.、Um, but I I do think overall it's a really good thing, basically just to push everyone to、uh, do the digital transformation quicker and faster to adjust to the new like the demand of the new world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that makes complete sense. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, on on the topic of you know um you know MNCs like Amazon. Doing well for themselves during a recession. How can you explain that in Tesla's favor? Because, I mean, I don't, I don't see a lot of people having the resource to, you know, buy a Tesla. But he just, he's、right. just doing great right now. Yeah. So,、um, I feel like, like as,、um, as an employee of an international organization and like coming from China, I'm actually not in favor of like a country having. Tech giant because because I don't think a country's economic 
basically its economy shouldn't be held in the hands of tech giants. So it's not really healthy to have like Twitter decides um, basically who we are going to allow to speak on our platform or Amazon to decide oh, how much wealth we're allocating to basically people who are less that um, not as better off as us. So that's, in my opinion, it's not really healthy to do that. So that's why like a lot of guys like Bernie Sanders, they're talking about breaking mm -hmm. down those tech gens. And I think in economic terms, it's, it's a healthy thing to do. So we will just see like how it goes because with the new administration, we don't really know. Um, of course, I still think like to some extent we should encourage these tech companies to just de develop and should allow them to have certain wealth because that's good for the general trend of the of the technology development but just basically how much freedom and how much control they have over your country's economy and your people's wealth that should be like considered like yeah give more consideration yeah yeah, I think that's the downside of a free market economy, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can obviously elaborate more on that if you want. But um, like as, as a student, we learned that, of course. And, you know, recently we've come to learn, you know, we go back into the, into the history. Even when I take like a micro theory class, like I took uh, 101A, we went all the way back to you know learning why standard oil was broken up and it's pretty standard like everybody knows you cannot have a monopoly or oligopoly you can't have collusion all of this stuff is you know inherently illegal um so yeah I, I think a lot of these big tech giants are kind of mirroring that um uh, characteristic of a monopoly and it's kind of obviously we're obviously seeing the side effects of that, you know, just the 1% getting a little more richer day by day while the rest of us are kind of stuck in the middle class. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, maybe like people have different like opinions and people who didn't really go to study e-com, uh, they wouldn't see it that way. But I think in general, especially educated middle class now realize that they can't just allow tech giants to take all of our wealth. Um, so one interesting thing that, that happened in my country in China is recently, um, so my government stopped the IPO of a very big giant in my, in my country, it's called Alibaba. Yes. So yeah, the end group. So they were originally going to uh, the stock market, but then like they were suddenly stopped by the government. So there were a lot of like, suspicious speculations about why did the Chinese government do this but um, it's basically just like not allowing a giant to do whatever it wants to the country and its people but I, I know like people have different opinions on the free market economy and sometimes like it works differently in different times so for example the fdr during fdr's time you cannot allow completely yeah free economy but now the situation is like different like how much control you should have over the market yeah it's always a debate debating question even among economists yeah i think trump's administration in particular you know was a lot more focused on the stock market booming because you know you have that opinion that as it booms 
companies, you know, get a little bit of kick to innovate that produces jobs and therefore, you know, the economy gets better, but not necessarily in a time where, um, I mean, I, I don't really know, um, I'm not an expert here, but I'm obviously taking your advice. Uh, is my thought process correct in the sense that, you know, in, in a recession, um, stock market booming would ideally be okay, but in these times, I don't know how productive that is in, you know, helping lower wage people actually get out and, you know, get out of the need of always having that fiscal paycheck to come through. Yeah, so, um, I mean, like, it's it's even, like, really hard for economists to know, like, what kind of policies are correct or, like, are the uh, quote right policies to enact at a certain time so um i think it depends on like what the people want or like what's the situation of the country Mm -hmm. yeah but sometimes it it depends more on like what the people want so what voter wants in the u.s i think right yeah yeah, so I, I definitely think this administration is going to work more towards what the people want, um, which I yeah. think is a positive outlook for everybody. Um, yeah, I'm definitely optimistic. Yeah, so uh, just, you know, a question about, you know, the job prospects within intergovernmental organizations. Um, as an undergraduate, if, you know, my goal or any other student's goal is to directly set foot into such organizations, what is ideally expected of me, you know, in terms of, experience extracurriculars gpa um you know what were your experience that we could probably take um advice from um so i would say try to have a a gpa that's as high as possible um especially if you want to go directly as an undergrad so if you go from like a master or phd that's a lot a lot easier Mm -hmm. but if you want to go directly as an undergraduate, then maybe you want to have like at least a, a 3.8 GPA because um, the people who went into the IMF as undergrad with me, they they all have like good GPAs, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if you are really interested in economics, maybe you want to explore the possibility of potentially getting a master um, at least a master because I think that will increase your chance um, and the other advice is basically just to seek out as as more like maybe like more research opportunities uh, with Europe or like yeah. directly with the econ professors in the department because I know they send out like those applications every semester so yeah. you can apply yeah within the econ department or like within Europe. Um, So that's what I did. I was um, econ research assistant for one semester and I did a year of Europe. So I I think those really like added credential to, and those are relevant to what we're doing now with uh, uh, the fund and our bank or UN, yeah, because UN, they also look at your academic credential and your research projects. Um, better still, like get to know some some scholars or professors, or like if you are interested in their work, just go talk to them because yeah, our school do have a lot of good scholars doing interesting research. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they do. Um, uh, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. Um, a lot of kids are actually looking into Europe now. 
um, because you know they're a little more flexible with having remote positions as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a really good time to yeah maybe considering yeah getting into Europe or if you are interested in a certain project, just yeah. ask the professor if he needs yeah someone yeah. Yeah, most、help. definitely. Yeah, I, I've applied as well, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, yeah,、um, I'm sure. Yeah, you will get something. Yeah, yeah. Because、um, Europe, I think, it opens every semester. So yeah, no yeah, worries. It does. Yeah, it yeah. does. That's a good thing. And you know, I don't. It, even though I am an econ major, I don't think people really have to restrict themselves because a lot of the you know research that our professors conduct are really interesting. So as long as you, yeah, like, yeah. a lot of the times, all you require are like programming skills. So regardless of your major, if you have those skills, you can definitely apply,、um, because you know sometimes research is maybe what shows you what your true interests are outside of maybe your course. Because you know yeah, I think fact econ can get a little mundane because all you're doing is math all day. But the second I take like a bio class, I'm so interested. Yeah, I agree. So so yeah, I did Europe with a sociology professor. So he was not in the econ department because I know like in the econ department it gets competitive sometimes. And、um, I have like classmates whose parents work at the IMF. Like their parents are already like econ professors. How do you compete with those people? So just yeah, just don't limit yourself. There are like plenty of opportunities outside of the department. And yeah, just explore yeah, interesting things. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah complete sense. Yeah, thank you for that. I think that was a you know good understanding for a lot of us who want to go into those kind of firms right after college. And I think I've done plenty of like MUN and mock trial. I don't even know if it completely you know correctly mirrors the way the UN works, but I I like the way you know countries come. To diplomatic reasonings, you know, based on talks instead of you know mass weapons. But anyways, it's a very interesting, I don't know, concept because you you know in the process you get to meet a lot of people. Networking is huge, and you just get to understand how you know global economies come together. And I think that's a really cool thing to understand. And、uh, even though you read about it, it's another thing to actually immerse yourself into that. So I you know obviously、yeah. what you're doing is commendable. Yeah, so we are more on the economic side, but I think、yeah. UN they are like more on the diplomatic side.、Um, yes. I mean, I do have colleagues who worked at the UN before, and they work at the fund now. So、mm-hmm. it's very like it's really relatable and it's like really relevant. Basically, if you work at one of,、um, so I think both. The World Bank and the IMF they count as the UN group, so we are like in the UN system. I don't know how that works, but we are actually the all in the UN system. So if if you work at any of those, it's like really easy to transfer to another. Or basically, the work is like really、um, they are all similar in some ways.、Mm. Yeah, yeah. That that I mean that makes sense because、um, it's kind of like jumping from a tech giant to another, but instead of、yeah, governmental、yeah. organization, you know, just tapping into the same thing. How do we diversify our resume skills?、Um, you know, as we approach the future and as we approach these kind of industries, like what are、um, you know recruiters looking for in students other than you know、uh, having done research or anything, anything in particular? Yeah, so I would say.、Um, 
basically, I, I do think the most in, important thing is like a strong passion for international politics or international affairs. Um, because I see like in a lot of the colleagues who maybe who maybe like were in uh, private industry and they transferred to the fund or the IMF uh, or the World Bank because they really had a strong passion, uh, even though they didn't study like uh, international politics. So I think, especially as a student, that's a really important thing. You need to let the recruiter know that this is really your passion. You are not just looking for a name brand. I think that's like the yeah the single most important thing um so besides those i would say just trying to get into um as you said model your own because i think that's a really good club just mirroring what we are doing here at, at the inter at the international organizations um and ideally go to like model your own conferences and meet people from different parts of the world and um i think that's a really plus a, a big plus on your resume um so those are the two things i would uh, i would suggest um besides that i would say like really try to boost your tech technical skills because as as we mentioned like a lot of companies are trying to catch up with the digital transformation age so um our firm or like our organizations are really in need of like innovative people or people who can who have like good technical skills because obviously like every firm needs those people so we also have like data interns or uh, data interns who work at like our innovation lab because IMF has its own innovation lab so if that's an area of interest maybe um people can explore like into yeah those areas as well yeah most definitely i think everyone's you know gearing towards a digital future and ai and programming is like the two things that kind of come out at you right now data science is like the most popular major at berkeley and i think in every other um you know university or institution right now it's it's like the up and coming thing because everything is data driven now, like you said. So yeah, yeah. In at Berkeley, it's it's more like way more obvious because I know people. Um, I know my friends who went to like college in New York. It's like there. It's like more finance world. So more finance people. But at Berkeley, it's, yeah, it's definitely data science. Yeah, I think now. in the West Coast with startups and everything, everyone's looking for a data analyst for you know CS major, EECS major. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think it. It also. It actually. Yeah, you're right. It does depend on you know the region and their demand or the firm and their demand. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah, but it, it's a good skill to have, like, no matter where you go, you will need to know data. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for all this, you know, you know, in-depth advice. Um, and, you know, your insight is obviously, you know, paramount to people like me and a lot of other people who are going to listen to this um, later in the future. So, yeah, I just want to thank you. Any Anything you would like to say to conclude? Um... So I think 
now it's like a really difficult difficult time for young people like including myself i'm i'm also still trying to figure out like where to go next mm-hmm. so just yeah don't give up and try different things and definitely do something that you're passionate about like in the future yeah yeah that's yeah my big advice that's all no definitely thank you so much um you know i i will obviously keep in contact with you <laughs> maybe get some advice in 140 if i'm drowning um it's semester but yeah it was really nice to catch up um you know i'm so thankful that you're an alumni because you're an inspiration to a lot of people and a lot of people would benefit from you know learning about you and your story here so yeah i thank you once again for coming on this podcast yeah no problem yeah happy to help all right nice talking to you yeah nice talking to you too